Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Folklands, created, written, and presented by Justin Chubb and Tim Downey. Episode 6, Witch Country, Part 1. Hello, my name's Justin Chubb, and together with my friend and fellow actor-writer Tim Downey, we spent the last few months travelling to some of the most atmospheric locations around the UK, inspired by a 1973 guide to British folklore, myths and legends, in search of mysterious stories and local tales, with some eerie moments along the way. In today's episode, part one of a two-part adventure, we travel up to Mistley in Essex, the very heart of witch country, where the notorious trials of Matthew Hopkins took place, and where we meet the hugely talented author A.K. Blakemore, whose recent acclaimed novel, The Manning Tree Witches, captures in evocative, imaginative detail the spirit of a quite terrifying episode in the darker recesses of English history. And rather excitingly for us, we get to spend our first stay over in the very building where the Witchfinder General plied his unwholesome trade. Later on, we'll be meeting the wonderful musician Laura Cannell, whose music evokes landscapes, natural sounds and draws on folk and early music to create something altogether unique. But before we begin our journey, to set the mood, here's an excerpt from The Manning Tree Witches, performed by film, theatre and TV actor Emily Carey, whose numerous roles include the young Lara Croft in Tomb Raider, and more recently, Alicent Hightower in HBO's hit fantasy series, House of the Dragon. For he is, of course, a prince of air, says Hopkins, lifting the edge of his riding cloak in such a way that his learned companions might better appreciate the broidery of the hem. 
the sleekness of the sable. And it makes sense to them then, when he puts it like that, how the devil might thicken like butter and slide under the pantry door to cover a man all over, a man or a woman. They can imagine the devil there, some great thing in the sky, or as a mist, rolling in off the river, gathering the smoke of the scullery fires for himself, for later use. Or as the miasma that hovers over the marshes and flats, bringing the ague, a dark head, crowned in slender red leaves of narrow dock, a moth with mouths both front and back, cavorting in the autumn clouds that are like strips of flayed skin. The devil minces and the devil dances. He dances like a girl might. Slender-hipped, hair falling wild around her shoulders, inflamed. Now the nights grow longer, he might go from door to door of an evening, in the guise of a swarthy peddler opening his coat to the wide-eyed goodwives and maids. And where there ought to be bobbins of silk ribbon and little pearl buttons, he shows to them his merchandise of sukkin and smooth newt. This one here is prickier, and this one, pretty man. And all the while, a grey cat watches from the strawberry patch. And now, we are heading off towards Mistley and Manning Tree. We've just crossed the white bridge that leads us now into Mistley and our abode for this evening, the Mistley Thorn Hotel. Very excitingly, this is our first overnight stay. We are staying in the Thorn Inn, which Matthew Hopkins, Witchfinder General, purchased. And it was the heart of his operation to discover witches. So we don't know if there will be any traces of Mr Hopkins tonight or any of the familiars that he identified. I'm hoping for the horned dog with the ape's face and the silver whistle around its neck. That's because you're greedy. Well, I, you know, if you're going to have a familiar, you might as well go in high. Absolutely, rather than just two toads. Yeah, or a few mice. Yeah, I mean, you can get that anywhere, but come on. Dog with an ape's face. Yeah, horns, horns. <laughs> Don't forget the horns. He speaks and he churns butter. So there we are. So this is very exciting and something nice about actually having an expedition where we get to stay somewhere and maybe take in some atmosphere. We've been very lucky with weather. It's a little bit cloudier now, but we are usually favoured with sunshine. Right, well, we've just entered Manning Tree. It's quite suburban here. Just on the outskirts. But this is where probably his most famous witch trials were held in Manning Tree and Missley. And Missley just literally a stone's throw and we're meeting A.K. Blakemore she's a poet but also the author of The Manning Tree Witches a novel from very different perspectives tells the story of the witches their persecution trial and Matthew Hopkins' story very compelling 
with some fantastic prose writing and also feels very modern, very immediate and strangely apposite in terms of revisiting history and seeing what the women's experience of a very male-dominated Puritan society could do, the damage that could be done. There we go. We're in a, more of a sort of village centre of Manningtree. So we're actually going to go past Misley Towers and also the lake where Hopkins swam the witches. Swam as in dunked, ducked the witches. Pretty much drowned. The logic was, if they sunk, they were innocent. If they floated, they were a witch. If they sunk, they probably drowned. Because they were bound as well. In years to come, they used a lot of different apparatus a wooden arm where they would bind you to the kind of chair release it and just dunk you straight in must have been absolutely terrifying just appalling and these were done also by people you knew these were not done by outsiders kind of brought in mercenaries these were villagers townsfolk your accusers Floated, you were likely to be tried, persecuted, and possibly burned or hanged. Yeah. Seems Matthew Hopkins mainly hanged. I don't know if he did burn any witches, did he? That was more of a continental thing to burn witches. Ah, we're passing a kind of mausoleum, which is very impressive. Yes. We are in Mistley. Hotel should be there. It is. In, just entering. Amy. Lovely to meet you. And you. Welcome to Manningtree. Fantastic. Are you staying overnight? Yes. Okay. Are you going to do one of the kind of Hopkins ghost things? We haven't really planned anything. Some really alarming stuff on YouTube. <laughs> well, yes, we want to do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. We want to do anything. <laughs> Exciting. We might just shove these upstairs. Perfect. Okay. Trying to go for a little wander around. The Manningtree kind of central is about like a ten minute walk that way by the river. We're sitting outside. By the Mistly Swan. Oh, yes. Not looking at its most glorious. Yes. <laughs> so we've got a lovely kind of circular pond with a statue of a, yeah, slightly sad swan. Slightly sad swan. <laughs> <laughs> um, is, there, is a swan a thing of Mistly? No. So you get swans all along the Stour Estuary, which is a tidal estuary and salt water. And I think one of the weirdly liminal things about Manningtree 
is when the tide's out, the Stour Estuary is literally just this kind of reservoir of mud. You feel like you could walk across it. But when it's in, it looks incredibly deep. So there's kind of like two landscapes in one you get at different points during the day. Yeah. Um, and there are quite lots of ones. There are also black swans in oh. Missley and Manningtree that you see occasionally, which are quite dramatic. Swans have just poetry to them anyway, don't they? Yeah. Large haulage go by. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, the changing landscape. There's Harwich, which is kind of the next sort of big town over. And even in the 17th century, uh, that was the, the Hook van Holland, it was called. So it was all the trade from Holland, kind of lace and cheeses and all of that sort of thing. It's like the closest point to Holland of the UK. And there was a big Huguenot community here also because of that. Dutch was almost like a second language in this area of the country, but also kind of religious ideas trading back and forth with the low countries and Essex. So yeah, Harwich would be all where where the haulage is coming from. Okay, a busy town. So, and your connection with Manningtree is, you said you didn't grow up here, but Mm. your family now live around this area? Yeah, my dad has lived here for about past 11 years or so now he moved out of London when I went to university and I sort of you know I spend most of my Christmases here I'm up here a few times a year and I suppose kind of my way into the Witchfinder general stuff and the kind of planning tree witches stuff it started off as kind of more of a fascination with how we deal with the darker elements of our history, which I think partly came from growing up in London. I was kind of doing open mics and lots of poetry stuff in, in East London, mm. and we used to heckle rippertors. I found that the yes. fact that there were a whole kind of cottage industry yeah. had sprung up around ripper tourism yeah. quite interesting. It and is. in Manningtree, it's a small place. I believe it's still officially the smallest town in England that still qualifies as a town. And the Witchfinder General is sort of the only thing that's ever happened here. I believe there's one Shakespeare play that mentions Manning Tree. It's in the Doomsday book, but since then, basically just the Witchfinder General. It's been quite quiet. It's been quite quiet. It's been quite quiet. Until Um, the mass murders of innocent women, yeah. Well, yeah, precisely. And um, I don't think we tend to think of him in that way because the kind of killing he did, there was due legal process. He was was a sort of limb of of the state in some ways, in as much as that, that sort of existed. But he was also a serial killer <laughs> in, in many ways. I don't know if you saw on the way in, but in the kind of Welcome to Manning Tree sign, there's a little woodcut of the Witchfinder General. Just around the corner, I'll show you it in a minute, there's a plaque on the side of the thorn, which um, it's possibly apocryphal, but enough sources kind of suggest it for us to think it isn't. Um, he was, of course, the landlord of this very <laughs> establishment. I loved your book, by the way. I thought it was beautifully written. I love your descriptive prose. I think it was really interesting weaving in between the characters and almost their internal stories. Feels very modern. Really sort of brings the persecution of innocent, poor women, the class stuff that's there, the oddness of this very, very young man. I think people traditionally yeah. think of Vincent They think Price. of Vincent Price. Yeah. No. That was quite crucial, his age, in cracking him open as a character for mm. me, because I think the idea of him being an older man, this sort of moustache-twirling Svengali and the, mm. the tall black hat, is sort of, he's a bit of an old perf, yeah. but it was mainly about sex and about money. But the sort of obsession that he obviously had 
I think it speaks to me more of kind of a young man who was very spiritually insecure and insecure of his place in the world. And this isn't me sort of um, making excuses for the Witchfinder General. <laughs> to me, it was very interesting in the book that you are not identifying a clear villain. In many ways, he's portrayed as a very sickly, confused man totally. who is also in some ways a victim of circumstances and of opinions that start to spiral out of control. Yeah. The I- fact that he ends up with the power is another issue, but he's also in some ways a victim of puritanical thinking totally. and this kind of atmosphere of the civil war which is clearly changing society. Yeah, well I think part of the reason he's so fascinating as a historical figure and kind of always will be is because we will never be able to know. I I think I come down on the side of thinking that probably he believed that what he was doing was right, that he was on a mission from God, that he was performing a moral service to the, the world by doing what he was doing. I think he absolutely believed that witches were real and they were there and they were persecuting the good godly folk of Essex. The fact he got a book deal out of it and made a fair amount of money was a bonus, but I think he's more frightening if you believe that he was in earnest in terms of his kind of moral crusade, because someone who is so firmly convinced of their own righteousness and that they're willing to kill for it is sort of more frightening than a cynic. I think when you're younger, you're you're morally more clear-cut about, that's bad, that's good. I remember reading the Brontes and reading Dickens and things and kind of feeling quite moral about it it seemed quite clear cut and the older you get obviously you realise that life is very complicated, morals are very complicated, good and evil are much more blurred so a young man is more likely to have those very clear cut views possibly I think it's important to remember the specific kind of doctrinal outlook of Puritanism as well. um, Essex was a very, very Puritan area, and there are lots of different flavours of Puritan, but most likely he was a Calvinist, and one aspect of Calvinist doctrine was predestination, post-mortem. So you were born saved or damned. Whether you would end up in heaven or hell was decided at birth, if not before. And nothing you did in the world would change where you were going. If you were damned, you could be this moral superman. You could behave as well as you wanted. You would still end up in hell. And if you were going to heaven, you were going to heaven and nothing you did in the mortal realm would change that. Who decides that, though? Well, God. Yeah, but who decides it here? How do you know that? Precisely. It's really interesting reading kind of journals and things like that at the time. This was a major source of anxiety for pretty much every Calvinist, obviously. You would never know if you stood among the saved or the damned. The amount of anxiety and psychological torments that that kind of ideology would cause in everyone. And this idea of kind of looking around at your own family, at everyone in your village. Is he saved? Is he damned? How you would make those decisions, that kind of a natural taxonomy that it would exert within a community could very easily be turned in quite dark directions. Absolutely. To flip it, it could also cause a sense of freedom 
But if you go, well, whatever I do, it's predetermined. So I can do whatever I want. Be it good if I feel like being good, or be bad if I feel like being bad. It doesn't matter what the ending is. I am is. one of God's elected. I am one of God's elected. Whatever that may be. So therefore, there's a sense of freedom. I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't, almost. Or, <laughs> yes, well, however that, I'm not damned not if damned, I do, and I'm not I'm damned, damned if I don't. Because I'm doing it, and I am among God's elected, it must be good. Yeah. Like, because I want to do it, and I stand among the righteous, that thing I want to do must be righteous. Yeah. It sort of dissuades any reflection on weight, but why do I want to do that? A kind of relinquishment of any sort of form of moral responsibility. And I think that's very significant as well, to kind of the idea of who... Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General, mm. was. Because he came in as an outsider as well, didn't he? Yeah. Where was he from? He was from Wenham in Suffolk, so not too far away. And it's quite difficult when talking about him to kind of separate the myth that's accrued around him since from who he actually was. He quite possibly had some form of legal training. He told some people that he'd been to Cambridge, but there's no record of him being a student. But, I mean, it's, it's possible. And yes, he arrives in Manningtree about eight months before the persecution of local women begins in earnest. And he quite clearly kind of ingratiates himself among the great and good in the communities as much as there was a great and good in Manningtree, because that, that's also a very significant point during the Civil War lots of communities there was a real vacuum no one knew who the local authorities right. were yeah. essentially and it presented a real opportunity for someone like Hopkins to advance quite quickly in terms of the local influence they yeah. wielded yeah. coming in with an agenda to fill that power vacuum we see it even nowadays when there's turmoil exactly. there are gaps and if you mm. can fill a gap with an ideology or a sense of I know what's best and I can lead you out of this or I can take you somewhere trust me, Yeah. then people tend to go, great, someone else is taking all the hard stuff away. We'll and go on with a that. practical level, it's something I touch on in the novel, but I think about quite a lot. In these kind of cases of, I guess, hysteria to a certain extent, which obviously is a loaded term in, yeah. in and of itself, yeah. but when you're thinking about the way witch trials and the persecution of witches tended to function, you get this kind of mounting sense of terror and dread and, and yes, hysteria, and sometimes they stop because someone comes along and says, this is clearly ridiculous. Mm. Shake hands, make up, let's all go home. And during the Civil War, a lot of men were all fighting. Yeah, and and you true. very much get this sense of, if there had perhaps been a husband to step in and go, come on, yeah. I know she can be a bit of a pain in the ass, but leave her alone. It could have wedged the chops back in. Yeah, yeah. But as it was a couple of incredibly charismatic figures, and I think... One of the things that is very clear about Hopkins is he must have been in some way incredibly charismatic. I think you mentioned at the beginning of the book as well, he's quite good looking. There's a, there's a kind of young newness to him, like when he first appears in the church. I remember yeah. that first bit of go, that's a really lovely way of introducing him almost by, as an aside. And very educated. And very educated, poised, probably dressed mm. differently. And it was a much smaller world then. A decent education would have afforded you much more influence, you know, if you had been to university or you had some legal training that would really set you apart certainly somewhere like Manningtree where horizons probably would have been fairly limited Should we go for a wander? I'm just thinking of light It gets really, really dark down here The devil is in the moist places of the forest under fallen logs He speaks to the centipedes and the toads 
and they drag their soft bellies out over the rocks and mulch to lame the horse of a gentleman passing by on his way to Ipswich. Or find a place to nestle warm between the parted thighs of some country lass, whereon she dreams of marriage to a Turk who uses his tongue down there. He spits rainbow. He slides a rainbow up inside you. The power of creation, of course, Hopkins says, smiling indulgently at John Stern as the pair of them sit together by the fire. Rightly belongs only to God. To be honest, running a pub doesn't seem like a very Puritan no, endeavour. Like really somehow it jars with everything else we know about him. It may not have been an inn at the time. Yeah, and you'll see a lot of this in Manning too. Like the insides are all 17th century or Tudor and the outsides are Georgian. So there was a brief attempt to make Manning Tree into a spa town along the lines of Clacton-on-Sea. So we've lost a little bit of the history, really. Yes. My friend Zoe runs the bookshop here, uh, Manning Tree Arts, which is very good. But yeah, the kind of back rooms, you've still got those very old beams. Um, and just up here is Misley Towers. That would have been where the old church in Misley was, which is actually where probably Matthew Hopkins is buried. It's the churchyard he was buried in, probably in an unmarked grave, or the mark at some point has been removed. So that would have been where St Mary's the Church was. And again, it was knocked down during this trying to make Manningtree into a spa okay, town. I see. And they built the towers instead. How would we describe them? They've got pillars around the bases. They're square with dome towers. It's almost like a sort of Hawksmoor-type architecture. Quite strange that yeah. there's two of these towers. So, yeah, he's probably under there somewhere. OK. It's good enough. Yes. Yeah. And what was the spur for you to think, OK, I think this could be a novel? So it was reading the contemporary accounts. After the Manningtree Coven, in quotation marks, had been executed, within months there was a pamphlet released about the case in London. The Grub Street Press were sort of almost the tabloids of the day. They provided news, but in sensationalised Tabloid form. style, yeah. So one of these was released that, that kind of contained uh, accounts of the testimonies from the trials of the Manning Tree women. Uh, Rebecca West's confession was a separate pamphlet. And it's difficult to unpick kind of as I say how much of this was actual news and how much of it was a sensational yes. story for the readers of London but they're just sort of regardless of their veracity really really fascinating gothic and, and entertaining got people tearing the heads off shadow rabbits people's clothes boiling over with lice almost like little Angela Carter short stories they're just so brilliant, which is partially why I included a bunch of them in the, yeah. in the book. Yes, so the, between some of the chapters there are verbatim quotations. Yes, pretty much. Right. Yeah, some of them I kind of shortened. But I wanted to draw as much of it into the novel as I could. There's the amazing story of the local vicar riding his horse into Colchester and seeing the slathering hellhound. That was a real account. We can have a kind of quite like patronising attitude to people. It's sort of, oh, it was all superstition, it was all mm. hysteria, or it was all malice. They were making stuff up. But I think it's quite important to remember that 
To a 17th century Puritan, Satan was real. He was a real imminent force at work in the world who could appear to you, who could come, you know, who, who was trying to draw you into sin. He wasn't an abstract idea. Satan was in many ways more imminent than God. And if you were a good Puritan, you would be looking everywhere for him. You know, this was a time before electric lights. So everything is much more liable to... (laughs) Yes, we're here with traffic noise, but Mm. then things would be silent. This would be quite a remote area. Yeah. You'd hear sounds, you'd see the wind moving objects and... Things lurk in the woods. Yeah, there's a really good um, book by Stacey Schiff about the Salem witch trials, and it's something she describes really well. You know, when it was dark and silent, you'd be able to hear someone chopping wood miles away. You'd hear dogs howling in the night, and you wouldn't know where it was coming from. It's interesting in Manning Tree. You can see all the way to Felixstowe over there. So we're now looking down on the estuary, which mm. is it's quite low tide, isn't it? So yeah. we're seeing kind of an expanse of mud. Sometimes in the evenings, especially like during the spring when they all come back, my dad's is right up on the hill and you can hear all the geese flocking on the estuary like it echoes all the way up the hills. Sort of this idea of there were all these villages and towns on the other side of the estuary being able to hear them but not see them at night is something I thought about quite a lot in terms of the creepiness of specifically Manning Tree. I was going to say, it's interesting the sense of threat when you talk about Salem. So mm. I read a very interesting book about the witch trials before Salem that kind mm. of fueled those. And there was a lot kind of like people moving out into the middle of nowhere, a lot of illness, a lot of death, people with money, people with no money, and also the imminent threat of attack and if you put that back in the old country, back here, during a time of upheaval, imminent threat, that you could suddenly be in the middle of a battle. Yeah, or even someone saying, which side are you on? Yeah. And anti-Catholicism as well was a major factor, I think. The Reformation was only just out of living memory. If you were old in the 1640s, you would have lived under, like, five or six different state-mandated forms of Christianity, basically. That's true. And the conflict between sort of Protestant and Catholic, or different flavours of Protestant and Catholic, was still very much, you know, the Hundred Years' War, sort of Europe was Mm. torn in half. And somewhere like Manningtree, where you had lots of people coming in from Europe via the ports, there was a genuine terror of Catholic invasion from France. And it's interesting when you think about how much what witches were accused of doing mapped onto a sort of cartoon villain Catholicism, like the idea of the Black Mass, the drinking of blood. You know, and they do have their equivalents, of course, in <laughs> yeah. official, in all kinds of world well, religions. Well, the transubstantiation is, I, will, I am literally drinking the blood of Christ, and yeah. I am literally eating his skin. Pretty horrible. Where does religion end and magic begin? Very often that comes down to, well, who's the person doing the magic? Things we might think of as witchy. Fortune-telling was huge, and there were very, very famous astronomers and fortune-tellers like William Lilly, who were in the employ of the royal family. He was never thought of as a witch. Earlier we were talking about John Dee and saying the same thing. You know, he was a court magician, essentially. Yeah. And they believed that he had powers to find things out and... 
And yet, it's a very thin line, isn't it? Suddenly yeah. they're evil or they're having conferences with Satan. Well, it's good magic if it comes from God and it's bad yeah. magic if it comes from the devil. But how do you prove where the magic comes from? And very often it comes down to, are you the sort of person I want to have magic powers? If yes, that's fine, it's God. If no, because you're a poor middle-aged lady with one leg living in Manning Tree who should by all right shut up and go away so yeah. I can have your land and your herds. And then the novel, is it Mother Clark with the one leg? Yes. I mean, that's very shocking, this poor very elderly disabled woman who's literally dragged out of her house and then imprisoned. How long were they actually imprisoned for? A long time, like a year. Um, a lot of women actually died in custody. Manningtree women specifically were being kept in Colchester Castle. The room they were being kept in is tiny. There's no windows. Yeah. Something like 12 women were kept there for a year. A lot of the women who were accused probably, and I don't really like kind of diagnosing historical people with things, but probably suffered from what we would now recognise to be mental disorders of yeah. some kind, or even postnatal depression. There's a really touching case of a woman saying Satan promised her her children back. Right. She'd had a lot of stillbirths, and then yeah. this was what she alleged Satan had promised her to draw her into an unholy pact. People are often surprised by how many would actually confess to witchcraft, and Part of that was under torture, but also there is every chance a lot of these women with enough encouragement suddenly were like, wait, maybe I have made well, a true. pact yeah. with Satan? I you know, I, know. well, I did yeah. have those dark thoughts. I did want that to happen. If you're living in superstition all of your time anyway, who wouldn't doubt their innocence? Yeah, it was something that kind of infused people on both sides. So you described um, some of the horrific methods. They were looking for marks, they were mm. looking for... Teats. They were looking for hidden marks of Satan on yes. people's bodies. So the women were stripped and searched and probed and then pricked with a sharp needle. So a witch would have a familiar who was kind of an emissary of Satan, usually in the form of an animal, a cat or a rat or a kind of weird dog thing. Mm. Um, and she would essentially kind of nurse her familiar through a weird third nipple. Yes. <laughs> All very sexy. So yes, if, if a marking could be found on your body that no blood came from when it was pricked, that was how you fed your familiars and that was your witch mark. Also, sleep deprivation was a technique used by witch hunters and, and Hopkins in particular. The idea being that if you kept a witch awake for long enough, her familiars would come to feed and her familiars would arrive and that would be confirmation she was a witch. But she had to be away. Now we know that obviously prisoners of war in circumstances are kept awake, sleep deprived in order to break yeah. down their defences. Precisely. Were a lot of these techniques made up or were a lot of these borrowed from like the hammer of the witches were they taken from them or were they kind of slightly kind of changed and like ah actually yeah we do this innovations well we know um definitely that hopkins had read the malleus maleficarum hammer of the witches 
And it's interesting because in every different European country, you have a slightly different idea of what a witch is, what she looks like, what she does. Influenced by the local geography, local folk tradition, those kind of things. So familiars and this idea of, well, she's got a cat that comes along and feeds from her third nipple was quite an English innovation. Or like flying witches tended to be a more Scandinavian thing, like English witches don't tend to fly or use broomsticks. I guess because you wouldn't really need to. No. Whereas if you lived in a hamlet in the middle of Norway, you needed a, a way to get around easily. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Exactly. And at this time, you know, obviously the printing press is still a relatively new thing. Books are quite scarce. Ideas about what witches were and how you caught them would spread through these, yeah, these books as, as they sort of moved through Europe. And the Malleus Maleficarum was probably kind of the most influential. And I think the sort of sleep deprivation thing was more or less Hopkins's own innovation. Develops his technique. own methods. Develops his own methods, yeah. And also he, he would travel with uh, witch prickers. He had a, pe- a pair of women from Manningtree in his employers. Yeah. It's kind of quite a, a sort of like sick and sadistic thing yeah. that there was this idea of stripping a woman naked oh, and yes. prodding her with pins. Fine, as long as a woman does it. Presumably the women who were employed thought, great, we're not going to be examined as witches. Well, precisely. So now we're coming up to the red line. Mm. Established 1605. Would have been about 40 years old uh, when Hopkins was around. Almost certainly would have been in there at some point, as would all the women who were accused themselves. So this is the village green. Which is where the women most likely would have been hung. Quite a small triangle of green. It's extraordinary how you would now just pass it. It's almost of no importance. It's just a little bit of land. There should be some recognition of the people who died horrifically here under these circumstances. I think one of the things that's sort of interesting about the witch trials generally is there's probably not many communities in England, certainly in Scotland as well, where it wasn't Mm. a thing. Um, It was particularly concentrated. Yes. As you drift towards the Welsh borders. There's one recorded witch yes. trial, which is in Hereford or something like yes. that. Yes. So it obviously loses pace, or there's a certain thing that because it's, it's so close to the continent, that fervour, like you're talking about, that exchange of ideas is they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. And then it gradually yes. drifts off, which mm. then it goes to play in the new world where you get people from Essex and then people from Hereford and you get 
those mixing of people saying, there's a witch. No, there isn't. That'd be ridiculous. Ah, but that means you must be a witch. Yeah. I mean, literally, Salem was the next generation of the guys Mm. who were doing it in Manningtree. Puritans who decided England wasn't Puritan enough and went to America to make their new Puritan Jerusalem. Yeah. Guernsey, where I come from, there was one of the highest percentages of witches tried and killed. It was a small population, but 66 witches were hanged. In Scotland and in the Channel Islands, they used much more brutal torture methods. It's a funny Well, physical torture was actually (laughs) illegal in England Ah. by the 1640s. During Elizabeth's reign, it became illegal to torture confessions out of people, which was part of the reason sleep deprivation. It wasn't recognised as a form of torture. If he'd applied thumbscrews to them... Actual physical pain, but just leaving someone alone and yeah. not doing anything. Keeping them awake for just three days at a time. Poking people with sharp... But that was science. Oh, was it? Was yeah, obviously. Everyone knows <laughs> that witches have yeah. third nipples and you need to find them and they don't bleed. I read a medical thing as well, that if you're constantly pricking, there's parts of the body that will just go numb. Yeah. So if you go back to the same spot and go, well, there you go. Look, yeah. I'm doing that, you can't feel that. See, nothing. So there are forms of depression also where actually the body stops having nervous responses. It obviously wasn't science. To them, it it was. There was an objective reason you were pricking them. It Mm. wasn't just torture. And in the trials, was there sort of a court record or were the confessions... No. They weren't really kind of recorded properly, I suppose. A really, really frustrating thing is, particularly in England, records of the witch trials have largely been lost or destroyed. Scotland have much better preserved records. But in England, we don't even really know what a witch trial looked like, where people sat, who spoke and for how long. We we don't know. Do you know how many people would have been present? For instance, Matthew Hopkins and John Stern, is it? It's hard to imagine he wouldn't have been present. But it's also interesting because... Part of the role he played as the witch finder was in collating evidence, persuading people to give testimony. But it's almost like he wanted to establish this level of plausible deniability for the deaths themselves. I touch on it in the book, the idea was he was the witch finder. So he would just kind of be like, yeah, it's her. I don't have to get involved in the rest of it. Yeah, and it's Keeping your hands clean. And also giving a community permission, like, well, we didn't... It was the witch finder who said she was a witch. There'd been some kind of local campaigning to have some sort of memorial installed for quite a long time, and that finally happened earlier this year with this, which I quite like because it has their names on, and yeah, they very rarely nice. do That's their full nice. names. That's sort of what I was thinking should almost be up in the green, mm. but there is. So we're looking at a, basically a blue plaque which says Manningtree Witch Hunt 1645, Below are the names of the local women who were accused of practising witchcraft. As victims of the ignorance and hysteria of this time, they were cruelly treated and imprisoned in the dungeons of Colchester Castle. Subsequent trial by judge and jury at Chelmsford Assizes on the 17th of July led to their conviction and execution. So we have a list of names. Sarah Bright, Elizabeth Clark, Helen Clark, Anne Cooper, Elizabeth Gooding, Marion Hockett... Anne Leach and Anne West, some of which are central characters mm. in the novel. Yeah, and um, the bell down West, Anne West is there, but Rebecca isn't because there's no record of her execution. 
Um, most of the Manning Tree women were executed here, and Manning Tree is kind of a warning to the local populace. The older ones, and quite possibly the calculation was they wouldn't have made it back to Manning Tree to be executed here, were executed in Chelmsford where they were tried. And Rebecca, there not being a record of her execution, it could just be that the record was lost. Maybe she wasn't finally She wasn't hanged. executed. She was quite unusual in being a, a young woman who was accused of witchcraft alongside her mother. Usually it was older women. As I was saying earlier, there's a record of her confession, so a lot of historians have figured that she was quite possibly forced into a confession that implicated her mother and her mother's friends in order to secure her own release. When I I learnt that, or when I... It was kind of one of the the spurs to the novel because that just seemed... Such an extreme thing to have to do. Such an extreme choice to have to make. And this young woman, probably in her late teens, we don't know exactly what her age would have been, being told, well, we're going to hang you unless... You give us the names of other witches. Yeah. quite sort of uh, florid in the details of things that they might have observed or some of the witnesses come up with some extraordinary imagery brooms brushing themselves well it tends to be a lot darker than that it's interesting sort of the wealth of Essex was cattle and dairy and it's amazing how many of the witches alleged crimes revolve around cows cows dying basically and I think why that's significant is because the witch represented an economic threat as well as kind of a spiritual threat. Mm. This idea of they're this kind of rot that is a threat to the community more broadly. You know, they're killing cows. They were their livelihoods. They were livelihoods, yeah. I suppose it's quite a good way as well of kind of any kind of naysayer. Well, we've got, okay, well, you, you don't think it's spiritual, okay. Well, but they're doing property damage. Think about yeah. the price of the houses. Think about, yeah. <laughs> they, that could be you, it could be you. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it hits on every level. And it's still something we kind of see now in terms of like, oh, well, the neighbourhood is going to pot. Think of the property prices. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, yeah. a coven will really damage the, the tourism industry. <laughs> yeah. Like, almost that. So you've probably been here when it is completely silent and dark and spooky. And when you were writing, did you sort of walk around and try and get a sense of landscape? And um, In terms of kind of that, that local mood, the water bird sounds, which for me are really manning tree thing. Mm. Um, and also the smells. You won't get it so much today because it's not a hot day. But when the tide goes out, the kind of stink of rotting vegetation and mud that comes off the estuary. And salt, because as I say, it's like a a salt estuary. So it it does smell like the sea, like an unclean sea. Fetid sea. (laughs) Fetid, a fetid sea. Fetid sea. (laughs) That could be our next novel. (laughs) 
this stretch which gets very very dark because it's not lit properly at night when you've had a couple of glasses of wine at the thorn and you're kind of trying to walk back this way and there aren't any cars and there's no light and you've got the water on one side and manning tree on the other it's a very kind of absolute dark of the kind you rarely get in the modern world and that sense of it being as you said earlier that limbal Mm. whenever I've kind of walked down to even like a beach in total darkness and even if you're in the tree line you're on ground and you're in trees but that sense of expanse mystery and kind of emptiness gives it that edge of it's otherly there's a real something else going on and I think there's an interesting thing about Essex more broadly you're close enough to London to have known people who've been there even if you hadn't been yourself it's not quite the middle of nowhere you know, it's not Hamlet and rural Scotland. So actually travelling down to a big city wouldn't be beyond reason. No. Again, it kind of comes back to this idea of liminality. This corner of the country that's often thought of in terms of its nearness to London. Yeah. But it is not of <laughs> London. And as I say, because of the trading route, you know, you would have had a lot of strangers passing through. Mm. You would have heard yeah, different languages and spoken. From London as well. Yeah. yeah. You get some really, really beautiful sunsets over here sometimes. In the summer more, you get like people bringing down their little camping chairs and setting up mm. here with a gin and tonic oh. just to watch the Lovely. sun fall yes. over the estuary. Yeah, we're walking back down by the estuary now. It's getting a little darker and we're seeing expanses of mud. It doesn't smell particularly fetid. <laughs> that would be, be, like be just said fetid. <laughs> fetid. <laughs> Presumably there are not really descendants of these women because well I've met a lot of people who claim to be I mean probably if you're British if your grandparents were British statistically probably all of us have an ancestor who would have been accused of witchcraft it was a common enough thing and ubiquitous enough but yeah it's because of the the lack of records and as you rightly point out dead women don't make family trees I suppose there would have been such a stigma of being the child of a witch if you were then kind of taken away you probably would never get told no 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 this is happening way away in Essex we're now in Hertfordshire let's just start again this is your mum this is your dad and that's it something a lot of people say about Rebecca West is like oh well she must have been executed because there's no record of her in Manning Tree afterwards and it was like well if you were Rebecca West and your mum had just been executed you'd confess and would you really have gone back to Manning Tree? And it's interesting, you know, you have mm. her setting out for the new world. I don't want to put in spoilers. I'll go for it. <laughs> she yeah, sets off for the new world. Mm. But uh, no, and potentially then there is the thing of Salem, the shadow of Salem kind of hanging over <laughs> the future, I guess. Have you had a sort of local response from people? Fortunately, they are really, really supportive and seem to, by and large, really love it. I've done a couple of events at Manning Tree Arts, the bookshop here now, and um, it's always very lovely. I think it's very much moved in the direction. It's interesting, even kind of since I, I wrote the book, seeing how it had shifted in focus from Hopkins to the women here. Yeah, that is, yeah. yeah. In doing the research, one of the things that I found so wonderful about the accounts of the trials and these women and sort of hearing them speak for themselves kind of 400 years later, there are like some great moments of comedy. So there's this instance of um, 
Mother Clark when she's being interviewed by Stern and the Witchfinder General and she's confessed, you know, Satan came to me. And um, Stern sort of says, did he come to you in the form of a man? And she says, I, as handsome a man as any in England. And he points at Hopkins and he says, a man like this one? She says, no, much better looking than that. <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but ostensibly. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And you kind of can't help but read it's, it's her having a bit of a joke at his mm, expense. Haven't yeah. got much to lose. But how much of a sense, a very rare sense of the textures of life for peasant women? ostensibly that you don't really get anywhere else kind of the sad truism is we don't tend to learn about working class women unless something horrible has happened to them maybe that's why you were heckling the that was exactly why it was heckling the it's sort of glorifying (laughs) the serial killer and forgetting the women and it's quite sweet sometimes at Halloween there's a in Manningtree a witch finder general kind of event like for the local kids Oh, and they put Barbie dolls dressed as witches around the town and the kids right. have to find them. But now it's changed from, like, finding the witches to yeah. execute them to finding them to protect them from Matthew Hopkins. Oh. <laughs> That's a big change as well. Yeah. That's such a shift culturally. You know, when I grew up, there was such a reverence of serial killers. Mm. Total disregard for anyone or anything they may have done. Mm. But, and there has definitely been a shift. There's been modern TV dramas as well where they take the onus off yeah, the perpetrator. Go, no, let's put it through the eyes of the families that well, yeah. actually helped catch that this particular. Is a big shift, isn't it? You know, with the uh, fifth commandment. Is it? That's fifth right. Commandment. Yeah, the fifth oh, commandment. commandment. Oh yeah, I love that. That was very brilliant. Wasn't it brilliant? He would have made an excellent Hopkins. Still, actually, <laughs> he would be brilliant. But sort of almost a very similar character, or, or in, in terms of one interpretation of Hopkins. And have you thought of? Uh, Adapting for theatre or for film? Yeah, there's going to be a theatrical adaptation at the Colchester Mercury. It's being adapted by a really excellent playwright called Ava Pickett. I don't know when that's going to happen yet. I think spring or summer next year. Fantastic. There's a famous tree called Old Knobbly. Yes, well, we would <laughs> love to see Old Knobbly. It's the only tree with his own Instagram account. <laughs> well, probably not the only tree with his own Instagram account, but... The only tree I follow on Instagram. (laughs) And he's on Google Map. That's how you know it's a good tree. (laughs) We're going to be very fit. I tell you. Doing what is essentially an armchair folklore podcast. I've never walked so much in my life. (laughs) It's really interesting, like a... The research for my second book, which is set during the French Revolution, mm. um, there was a real vogue for mummy powders as an aphrodisiac. So we were, talking, up mummy. we were talking about this. And yeah. you just think how yeah. many archaeologically significant tombs yeah. might have been... Snorted by gentrification. <laughs> yes. yeah. We were oh, saying earlier about the Victorian craze of uh, mummy unwrapping, where they would have parties and they would say, you'll never guess what's happened. Carstairs has come back. It's absolutely wonderful. And they would bring in a mummy to unwrap. Like an after-dinner party Like a thing. sort of pass Probably all parcel. on yeah. gas as well. Probably all on laugh <laughs> Well, they didn't have Netflix, you know. They had to make their own You've Got to get it while yeah. you can, I suppose. That's quite a significant thing historically as well, though. Boredom. It's true. And creativity and mm. all kinds of things have come out of time and boredom and actually our modern world is all designed to fill time if you were a young puritan that's right a manning tree the only sort of aesthetic content you would be imbibing would have been the bible yeah 
which I read and reread and okay. while I was writing the book. The imagery of apocalypse. Yeah. The falling of the wormwood star and locusts with the faces it's of an men. Amazing and imagery. Oh, God, yeah. Bosch type. Love a bit of Old Testament. Oh, yeah. And of course, King James himself can't be underestimated as a player in all of this. He That's was personally true. very obsessed with witches. He He'd written his own guide to witches, demonology. Shakespeare partly wrote Macbeth and had witches in it to try and secure his patronage. This is his first kind of great Jacobean play, and obviously is about a Scottish king. Yeah. Yes. And witches. <laughs> yeah. That really makes sense. It's kind of essentially King James fan fiction. Right, yeah, I think we go up here and then she goes. Okay. Right. right, school lane. Past the disused Misty Station. Yes. Sound like a Smith's lyric past the disused Misty Station. Very nice. Mm-hmm. So we're getting more twilighty now, aren't we? Yes. Which is good for atmosphere. Some people say Manningtree is like one of the most haunted places in Britain, but I swear they say that about like everywhere in Britain. I don't think I've ever been somewhere that someone hasn't claimed was the most haunted place in Britain. True. As I say, the Thorn is a popular mm. spot with professional ghost hunters. Not suggest you guys aren't. The freelance. Again, like a difference between sort of a hamlet in the middle of Yorkshire or whatever is Manningtree is now kind of essentially a London commuter town. Yeah. And there's lots sort of up in the Lawford Hills. I always think of them as like Privet Drive, sort of 70s cul-de-sacs. And it's one of the places where its history, as you were saying, has kind of been like gradually effaced by various different waves of people moving here or it trying to be lots of different things. Yeah maybe to get rid of the past really that isn't very comfortable the estate where my dad lives all the different streets are named after Victorian and pre-Raphaelite painters because the the sort of slightly nicer aspect of the local history is that it was constable country they all used to come out here to paint the beautiful sunsets over the Star Estuary and stuff like that so I think there's definitely been a kind of effort to rebrand as constable country rather than which country although that is how they um, mark the chapter in the Reader's Digest (laughs) <laughs> of Essex, yeah, as which country? Well, that was 1973. It was 1973. And to go back to kind of why witch trials were so regionally concentrated, you do wonder how much of it was just because people became like a nerd to it. Mm. Like once a few major trials had happened. Or it was just like, oh, that makes sense yeah. that she's a witch because there were those witches down the road. That yeah. sort of snowballing yeah. effect of yeah. accusations. Wasn't he paid per witch? Was that, is that, was that a thing? I think in some places he was. In other places it was kind of a lump sum just to come. Oh, okay. So I think it was Aldborough, which is on the Essex coast. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of everyone in the community raised, you know, £12. And then they wrote to Hopkins being like, we've got £12 here for you, if you come down. And he did. And rounded up the local witches. We were sort of talking about it earlier. When bad things happen, you want a reason. Particularly if you believe in God and fate and all of those things. It's harder to believe that just bad things happen. Happen, Rather than there Mm. being a reason. And also a reason if you're the sort of person who believes in curses from God and sort of direct consequences in the world resulting from your moral or spiritual character. Easier to be like, oh, well, it's not because I'm a bad person that my child died. It's because it was someone else doing something to me. Entering a wooded spinney as the twilight descends. 
and then our phones die so we can't find Absolutely. it Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we're okay, just lost we in are, the wood. It's rather a nice light now. Yeah. The birds are twittering, ready to find a nice warm hedge to curl up. This feels more witchy and more like it probably would have been. So you imagine this might have been a not uncommon way? Okay, I think you're going this way. You're wearing your plimsolls again, Tim. Okay, and there's water here. We're crossing a stream, yep. <laughs> Wending our way through holly bushes. So there is a huge oak tree in front of us. I don't know if that is old knobbly. And this is supposed to be where people would hide from the witch finder. I think that's a bit of poetic embellishment. So you know in the way that like old trees do have that kind of presence to them? Old Nobly is, is one of those. Very sort of climbable and hideable in. So I think that's probably kind of a pleasant fiction people came up with after the fact. It's quite a nice time to be coming through the spooky woods. I keep thinking because of your torch that there's like little animals running that way. I just thought that. I walked past a, I walked past uh, like a branch and it looked like a cat. Yeah, I saw that. You saw that as well? Thank yeah. God somebody else did. Don't think of the Blair Witch Project at this point. I literally was just thinking of the Blair Witch Project. Thanks for that, Justin. And John Eads was mm. a historical figure? He was, although I've been told by a pompous local history buff in Colchester, to, he, he would have been older. That was another sort of, one of those kind of weird points in the history where I was like, hang on, we're not getting the whole story there. So John Eads did testify against Rebecca West, and he sort of said, Rebecca told me she'd had Congress with Satan, and that her mother had, had made her do this. That Satan came, came to her, and they, they had sex, basically. But there's no context about what their relationship is. And you think, yeah. well, that's a very personal thing to tell someone, presumably. He must have known her, but in what context did this older man and younger woman have the sort of relationship in which she'd be like, yep. So I kind of tried to imagine what that relationship might have been. Another interesting theme, obviously, is the repression of sexual desire and the fact that women in the book have natural feelings but they are not allowed in this society particularly at this puritanical time mm. that female desire is something that is to be suppressed or feared or dealt with in this brutal fashion i mean obviously if you repress sexuality it tends to explode out anyway in unwelcome and unhealthy ways quite slidey here <laughs> Well, the plimsolls. Well, honestly, <laughs> if you go shooting past, we'll try. <laughs> Don't mind me. And in terms of the archives, whereabouts did you sort of find records? Or is, is there a lot online? Or is, it's all online. Yeah. Yeah. And I did a lot of secondary reading. Historians like Stacey Schiff, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Malcolm Gaskill is the sort of big historian of Hopkins and the Essex witch trials. So his Witchfinder book. So I grew up in London, but my mum's from Kent, and my grandma had a house out in Kent, and it used to be like a very kind of holiday thing. Me and all my cousins, I have like 
seven male cousins of varying degrees of anarchic outlook. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it was partly the contrast of growing up in London and then... Going into the country. Yeah. Here he is. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we have found old Nobly. He is massive. Yeah. And Nobly. Very, very Nobly. Very Nobly. And sort of satanic from the very front. Absolutely. <laughs> you know the... Uh, cover artwork for Pan's Labyrinth. Yes. There's a tree exactly, exactly like this. Exactly like that, yeah. I wonder if it was actually based on this. The most oak tree, oak tree it you is. can think of. Yeah. And people keep trying to burn him down for mysterious reasons. You can sort of see yes. at yeah. the top. There's sort Poor of burn nobly. marks. Whether that's people trying to do sort of rituals. Or maybe there is a little portal to hell that opens occasionally. He must yeah. be very, very old. The width of the trunk is huge. I think he's like at least 11th century or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Right, we're going to just have a little feel of the novels. Hmm. He's very he's handsome, up. isn't he? He's very climbable. Go on, Tim. Like no, I'm not going to shin up there. Up you go. No, don't shin up. Someone's left a little LED. There's a candle LED. But yeah, so you can see why people might have come along 100 years later and saying, mm, this is probably where the witch is hid. And you could sit almost in the middle, couldn't you? You could. As a child, um, that would be truly magical. My favourite tree. Beautiful. Awesome. And I know people do come and stick crystals and things into his walls. Definitely male in my imagination. There's something about the old, old man memory. of the tree in a way. Yeah. A bit of a talking ent. Oh, I love ants. I'm very, very <laughs> pleased we got to see him. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> on the list. And now do. for finding our way back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah? That's just that problem. That's okay. okay. And, it, and it's got darker. Okay. Sure, it'll be fine. What yeah. could possibly, possibly okay. go wrong? The sort of imagery of these accounts, I... It's so good that I had to include it in the book. Someone describes how they saw a grey cat watching them from the strawberry patch. Yes. Oh, yes, that's great. Almost poetic. Yeah, very. You can almost tell these people who were giving their testimony were having fun with it. Yeah, even the name imps. You know, they have these <laughs> imps. It's a great word, isn't it? Yeah. It is. But the idea that, you know, they would have mice, they would be their imps. Well, presumably most... Houses would have a lot of mice anyway. The imps thing, sort of the association of particularly cats with female sexuality and witchcraft, sort of something about their indifference and their otherworldliness. That's um, true, they're very they're yeah. independent, aren't they? They're not dependent on humans in the same way that a dog, and Matthew Hopkins, of course, yeah. had a dog himself. The whole thing about witch marks, kind of searching for... Intimate places, and yeah. An obtrusion, usually mm-hmm. to be found in the sort of groin area. Yes. I mean, you don't need to be Freud to sort That's of work true. it out. Aside from the practical elements of sort of women without any form of legal protection in the form of a husband who more vulnerable, there was also an extent to which a single woman represented a sexual threat yeah. to a community. Mm. Sort of an That's unattached true. woman. There's the quote from The Hammer of the Witches, which is, when women think alone, they think evil. Yeah. So there's this idea of a single woman was more open to Satan's influence. Well, Rebecca sort of has that almost directly. She almost says that. She's on her own and she starts thinking, well, maybe I am evil because I have thought some 
terrible things, just like everybody would. There's even little things as well, like pockets. The removal of pockets in dresses was the fact that women <laughs> could hide things in them. That's why dresses don't... Can't have women putting things can't in them. Wo- how dare yeah. you put something in your pocket? Well, like curses and things like that, so they remove pockets. Right. And they said at the time it was for ease of tailoring. Yeah. It's easier to make a, a straight dress or a skirt than to then put pockets in it. But you kind of yeah, think, well, look how difficult before, trousers it are. Yeah. It makes complete sense. I think that one of the other things I found so powerful about the witch trials is that so much of it comes down to this human condition solipsism thing of it's impossible to know what someone else is truly thinking, what is truly inside someone else. Mm. And in the witch trials you get that expressed in a very gendered sense. Yes. Uh, Well, we as a community don't know what these women are thinking and we don't like that. No. Like, I, I would rather kill someone than not know what they're up to intensely male thing to do yeah I'd rather not understand it and get rid of it and just get rid of it yeah, yeah. I'd rather just it's as if I binary as that if own I, it if I can't it own it or exist. control it yeah. it's a danger and needs yeah. to be controlled and moulded into what I want it to be and some of these women would have been apothecaries or herbalists this is where it becomes difficult because a certain amount of kind of herbal knowledge would have been something most yeah. housewives would have yeah. had and again it comes back to that thing of it's not about the fact you can make potions it's where did your knowledge of how to make potions come from Yeah. there were good and fine and decent potions and then there were the potions of the devil and they would be functionally the same thing but if your power to do that came from a satanic source it suddenly becomes bad Yeah. yeah I mean, I think it's now quite like an unpopular argument about the persecution of witches that as medicine grew as a profession, there was a desire to concentrate medical or pseudo-medical knowledge into male hands. And it had traditionally been a very female role in communities to tend to the sick, to deliver the children. And as the medical workforce became professionalised, you wanted people to come to you rather than knock on the wise woman's door and get them in. becomes an industry. Well, it's, I yeah. suppose money comes into it in that argument again, and control again. Exactly. I want to control it. I've seen money can be made from this, and I want it. Yeah. Mm. You see it a lot more in Scottish witch trials, actually, yeah. that a lot of the women accused were local wise women or midwives. I think perhaps a very useful way of thinking about it is if you were a midwife, you also would have been very vulnerable to accusation because you had life and death in your hands. Yes, yeah, so if yeah. a baby died... Oh, if a baby died... she did yeah. this and this yeah. to it. Precisely. It was easier to accuse the midwife of doing something malign. Could you possibly be doing something that a man was not privy to? Like, yeah. this is not possibly. something that men do, so exactly. it's mysterious. Two women go in, three come out. I don't understand it, therefore I don't like it. Exactly. There's kind of a, a very potent melange of stuff going on around yeah. childbirth. Yeah. Yeah. We've come back full <laughs> circle to the Mistly Thorn. Back to the Mistly Thorn. <laughs> would you like a drink? I would love a drink. Can we go and have a drink? Yeah, let's go and have a drink. Come on. Of course, you can do whatever you like. <laughs> let's go and have a drink if they'll serve us heathens. Folklands was created, written and presented by Tim Downey and Justin Chubb with music by Justin. 
special thanks to Amy Blakemore, whose novel The Manning Tree Witches is published by Granter and available now. Thanks for listening.